0: Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your
1: house. It's Friday, September 29th. This is The Gateway. I'm Wayne Pratt. Contra dance is a very old art form. It's also how an Afton resident found a way to be comfortable.
2: It was the first time I really felt okay to be
1: in my skin somewhere, because sometimes that's a struggle with, uh, with looking the way that I do. We'll have that story in a few minutes. It's part of our week-long examination of the various concepts of home with help from NPR's Next Generation Radio Project. Also in just a few minutes, our Marissa Ann Lewis-Thompson will report on a new Dred Scott Memorial at Calvary Cemetery in St. Louis. SSM Health and Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital plan to build a new hospital in St. Louis at the corner of Grand Boulevard and Choteau Avenue. As St. Louis Public Radio's Sarah Fentum reports, officials say it will be better equipped to meet the increasing demand for specialized pediatric treatments.
0: Plans for the 14-story hospital include more than 200 patient beds and increased room for families. Hospital leaders say they hope to open in 2027. The building would be two blocks north of the hospital's current 195-bed facility that opened in 1956. That hospital serves 7,000 inpatients and 173,000 outpatients annually. Cardinal Glennon and St. Louis Children's Hospital are the only Level 1 pediatric trauma centers in the St. Louis region. The Catholic nonprofit SSM Health owns Cardinal Glennon as well as the nearby St. Louis University Hospital. In 2020, SSM unveiled a new SLU Hospital building on that same campus that cost $550 million. I'm Sarah Fenton, St. Louis Public Radio.
1: A judge says Starbucks violated the National Labor Relations Act at multiple stores in the St. Louis region. The company broke the law by threatening to take away employee raises and benefit increases and by punishing workers who wore union t-shirts, even firing an employee. Alex Barge is a barista at the Starbucks location on Lindbergh and Clayton, who was written up for wearing a union shirt.
0: Through the time that they were giving us this discipline, we were just constantly saying, like, this is illegal. We have a legal right to wear a union T-shirt in the store, like, you shouldn't be doing this. So it's very gratifying to see that the judge agreed with us.
1: The National Labor Relations Board judge has ordered Starbucks to stop its unlawful activity. Starbucks says it disagrees with the decision and is exploring other legal options. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is changing a rule to try to get more free meals to students in schools. But as St. Louis Public Radio's Kate Grumke reports, not all districts will sign up. This week, the USDA changed a rule to allow more high-need schools to qualify for free meals for all students. The St. James School District in Missouri is one that didn't qualify before but might now. Superintendent Tim Webster says his district will have to take a hard look at the numbers.
3: We're very thankful that the USDA would drop that threshold uh, because that's a great thing uh, for our students. But at the same time, we have to make sure that it financially makes sense for the district to still not lose money.
1: Webster says after the pandemic, when students had to start paying for meals again, the district saw a rise in meal debt. That will be part of the financial calculus. I'm Kate Grumke, St. Louis Public Radio. A Democratic state senator from St. Louis County says legislation expanding Medicaid to new moms could save lives. Tracy McCreary was a supporter of legislation that provides a year of Medicaid coverage for postpartum mothers. It managed to get past the finish line this legislative session after several years of legislative failure. McCreary says the bill could help lower the state's maternal mortality rate, which she says is unacceptably high.
2: Seventy
0: women die every year while pregnant or within one year pregnancy. But the thing that made me and my colleagues lose sleep at night was 84% of those deaths would be preventable if the woman had access to health care.
1: McCreary was a guest on Politically Speaking. That episode is posted at stlpr.org. The U.S. military has identified the remains of an East St. Louis Army Corporal who died in a prisoner of war camp in 1942. James Hurt was captured after the U.S. surrendered the Philippines to the Japanese. He was part of a forced 65-mile trek known as the Bataan Death March. Thousands of POWs went through intense heat and rain without medical care on their way to prisoner camps. Those who could not keep going were beaten and killed. The military says Hurt was eventually buried in Common Grave 312. The remains were identified through DNA. The defense POW MIA accounting agency, says Hurt, will be buried next month in Fairview. A 12-foot puppet is crisscrossing the U.S. and stopping at the Gateway Arch Sunday to help spread hope to refugees in the region. The performances will highlight the difficulties of living in a new country. As St. Louis Public Radio's Andrea Henderson reports, one Syrian refugee says navigating a new place is terrifying.
0: Faika Alokli moved to St. Louis from Dara, Syria, seven years ago with her family. They came to the U.S. as refugees, escaping their war-torn country. She says the first few years in St. Louis were hard.
1: When we come, we were so
0: sad and because everything is different. We don't know any friends. The, The big problem, no English. We don't know anything about America. Alokli says Syrian Muslim refugees want to live peaceful lives in their new home. She hopes Little Lamar will change people's mindsets about Syrians and other refugees so they start to see them as part of the community. I'm Andrea Henderson, St.
1: Louis Public Radio. All this week, we've been exploring the concept of home with help from NPR's Next Generation Radio Project. We finished the series today, with Amanzi Amoya, an Afton resident who found a home in a very old style of dance.
2: Hmm, home,
1: you know, I, I think it's um, the place where you feel the
2: most comfortable. And um, I think over the years, that's been a struggle for me because I was in, in the military, military family. And so we moved around a lot. And so getting that sense of, uh, of home was always something I was pursuing, whether it's with dancing or with sports, just trying to find where you fit in, because it's, it's pretty important. Okay, so my name's Amanzi Amoya, I'm 42. And so the, the, the first time I really felt that was when I was in, uh, I was living in Charlotte, North Carolina, and started uh, Contra dancing. Contra dance is a combination of swing dancing, line dancing, with like a dash of chaotic square dancing. And so all those things put together with fiddle music like, or, or, or bluegrass. You're dancing with a partner, yes, but you're also dancing with your neighbor, and your neighbors are helping you too. So it's like this super collaborative dance where the whole, the whole group or the set is working together to have a good time. So contra dancers are hot. And so I was like, I I wanna wear clothing that has ventilation. So because it was a queer friendly spot, I felt okay to wear skirts. And wear the skirts that that would fly out when you're spinning and it was the first time I really felt okay to be in my skin somewhere, because sometimes that's a struggle. With uh, with looking the way that I do, I would say that I'm non-binary, but regardless of how I view myself or how I express myself, I'm a very large like like a large guy, and uh, you know broad shoulders. You know I look like a football player. Uh, I used to live in Los Angeles and um, Pasadena actually. Going home one day, I I passed by this shop. I smelled this incense, I walk inside, and this it was, a, it was a Nepalese woman, and she had a bunch of, of these wrapped skirts that weren't selling. They were perfect, I thought, for contra dancing. So I bought up a, a bunch of them, and when I would go to contra dances, the, uh, the people who would see me, the men, they'd be like, hey, where'd you get that? I was like, you know, it sounds like you like it. You want to try it on? They're like, no, 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 no. And by then, I already have it off because I'm wearing, uh, you know, wearing something underneath. And I'm like, I take it off. I'm like, hey, do you want, do you want to try this on? They're like, oh, you know what? Yes. And so I put it on them, and they wear it, and they like flow and feel fabulous. And at the end of it, like, keep it. I definitely feel at home with the the, the contra dance community in St. Louis. And it it surprised me because i haven't felt that with a lot of things that i've done in this city like this group particularly in st louis is is it's actually quite lovely and and increasingly as i show up and talk to people there's efforts to really care for the community that's around us contra dance is just a, another hub another another place for us to get together and talk and and work together
1: Amanzi Amoya lives in Afton and Contra dances whenever they can. That report was produced by Tracy Shanklin, one of the participants in the NPR Next Generation Radio Project. Members of that team were in St. Louis last week to produce stories that explore the concept of home. Home. A new memorial monument dedicated to the life of Dred Scott will be unveiled tomorrow at Calvary Cemetery in St. Louis. Scott's case is arguably one of the most controversial decisions handed down by the U.S. Supreme Court. More than a century ago, Scott, an enslaved black man, lost his bid for freedom. The high court argued that enslaved black people were not U.S. citizens and upheld the institution of slavery ahead of the Civil War. St. Louis Public Radio's Marissa Ann Lewis-Thompson spoke with Scott's great-great-granddaughter Lynn Jackson about the new monument and Scott's legacy.
0: Dred Scott's new memorial monument easily stands out. The nine-foot-tall black granite structure is reminiscent of a courthouse. Scott's great-great-granddaughter Lynn Jackson says that was intentional. The fact that he's at the top means
3: that he was able to rise above the law within his own heart and by the good help of those who helped him throughout the 11 years of his trial.
0: Jackson is the mastermind behind this latest effort to further preserve Dred Scott's legacy. The monument, which is in Calvary Cemetery, replaced an old headstone above Scott's grave. The new monument includes pieces of he and his wife Harriet's story, an excerpt from his obituary, and more. Jackson says the memorial has been years in the making. The first one didn't tell you who he really was. Um,
3: it said that he fought for his freedom and that his friend Taylor Blow freed him, but there wasn't space to say very much. So I was uh, very much interested in being able to tell more about why Dred Scott was important, as well as it was small and hard to see. As you look around where we're sitting, you know they're all pretty much ground level. Um, it's hard to have found it, I myself drove by and couldn't see it from time to time. So this one I wanted people to see because his is among the top three that are asked for in the cemetery,
0: which has over 300,000 people in it. For years, people have continued to visit Dred Scott's grave. What is it about him and his story that you think draws people to it?
3: The courage to fight the system It was sometimes considered seditious to sue your master. And um, yet in Missouri, the law, once be always free, gave them the right to do that. But you still had to step out and do that. So that's one aspect of it. But then the rest of it for me is the continuance of it. I usually tell young people like, hey, you you just got your license and you're going to go out and kick it. Well, you get a ticket and now you've got to wait two weeks to go to court. Can you imagine waiting 11 years to get an answer under the circumstances under which they
0: lived why do you think dred scott's story is a significant part of u.s history particularly to missouri and illinois history
3: well his case is important because if he had not fought for 11 years then who knows there would not have been a dred scott decision You had to go through the missouri supreme court to get to the u.s supreme court And after six years, most people would have said, okay, I'm done, you know, but they tenaciously continued. And uh, without that, who knows? Um, The Civil War, of course, was a major outcome of that, but we still may have had slavery into the 1900s.
0: You and your family have spent many years maintaining the legacy of Dred Scott. How do you hope it will be maintained once it's time to pass the torch to a new generation?
3: When my father wondered who would pass this on after his generation, he didn't know, and actually, I didn't know either. I had no clue I was going to be doing this as late as two thousand and three, but I knew the anniversary would be in four years. And so I said, well, you know we we'll do something for sure because I've always been a planner and a manager and so forth. so I said, well, we we were not going to sit back and just watch it on TV." but I did not know. and I had no idea that I was destined to continue and continue. So I'm only believing that down the road another person can pick up the banner.
1: That was Lynn Jackson, the great-great-granddaughter of Dred Scott speaking with St. Louis Public Radio's Marissa Ann Lewis-Thompson about the new Dred Scott Memorial Monument at Calvary Cemetery. Our Jonathan All edited that report. The Gateway is a production of St. Louis Public Radio, a listener supported service of the University of Missouri St. Louis. Music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. I'm Marie Pratt.